Welcome to Safety Talk. Personal safety expert Pete Canavan shares his insights and interviews experts who provide simple and effective tips, techniques, and technologies to keep you safe and secure both online and off. Here's Pete. Hello, and welcome to Safety Talk. I am your host and personal safety expert, Pete Canavan. I'm joined by my colleague and co-host, branding and social media expert, Neil Haley. Neil, how are you? I'm doing great. We're over at Cupic right now in Virginia for a really interesting conference tomorrow and uh, look forward to presenting uh, Lensex solution for the next couple of days in a different environment. So it's going to be an interesting uh, couple of days, uh, meeting some great uh, people that do criminal investigation for police departments and colleges and universities and hear about what's going on with them and everything. So I'm kind of living your life, Pete, for a couple days on lo- on location like you were in California the week before. Yeah, I've been running all over and then took my wife away for our anniversary uh, down to Cape May for a couple of days. So it's like catching my breath trying to catch up here. But um, so we, you know, as always, there's always so much stuff going on in the news and trying to stay up on it when you're on the road makes it even more of a challenge. But, um, you know, we always cover current safety news items and there is always something to talk about and I really wish there was something that you know a week would go by where I didn't have something in the news that to talk about you know we could just kind of get into it but um, we've got to mention the latest shooting that happened in California uh, about 80 miles southwest or southeast rather of uh, San Francisco there was a festival on Sunday apparently this festival had very good security and uh, we're going to have our guest comment on this because he's a security expert in a minute. But uh, apparently they had very good security at the at this uh, this festival. They had metal detectors and, you know, people were being, uh, you know, searched on the way in. So, you know, it was a pretty you know safe environment to most of the people. They thought, you know, things were, you know, going to be just fine. But, you know, it just goes to show you that that's not always the case because apparently what happened is the perpetrator cut a fence. He, you know, there was fence, so he somehow cut the fence entered the grounds this way uh, with his weapons, obviously, you know, circumventing the security that was in place. And so it sort of illustrates that no matter what security measures are in place, you, you know, a person with the will and the ability to circumvent and get around those security measures is something that we always have to think about. And it's always a possibility. So, you know, don't place your faith, I guess, in, you know, everybody else's uh, security. Uh, is sort of the takeaway from this. You know, we've all got to be responsible for our own personal safety and security. We've always got to keep our eyes and ears open and, and aware of what's happening and know that even when we're somewhere that gives us that sense of safety and security and well-being, that uh, it may not always last. And that's uh, that's sort of a scary, sad lesson and, you know, sort of thing that we have to deal with these days. But it's uh, it's an unfortunate reality. And so our guest today has almost 30 years of experience in the security industry. Uh, he is considered a foremost subject matter expert on event security, so it's, it's pretty appropriate that we have him on here. And uh, this gentleman, Mr. DeMeo, is a retired detective, uh, detective from the Nassau County Police Department out in Long Island, New York, close to my stomping ground where I grew up. Uh, he served 21 years in law enforcement, so we want to thank him for his service, of course. And uh, these days, he's founder, president, and CEO of a company called Unified Sports and Entertainment Security Consulting. Uh, the company is based out of Raleigh, North Carolina, and their goal is to create value for stadium ownership groups by li- raising that level of professionalism of event staff, and that helps reduce employee turnover. And you know, when you have people that are staying on the job longer, you get a kind of a closer bond, and you work better together, and ultimately, it makes your venue safer. And so. 
Uh, he's been recognized by Security Magazine's uh, one of the most influential people in 2017. And he's written a, uh, a bestseller called What's Your Plan? A Step-by-Step -step Guide to Keep Your Family Safe During Emergency Situations Like What We Unfortunately Just Witnessed. So it's my pleasure to welcome James DeMeo to Safety Talk. Welcome, Jim. Thanks for being on. Gentlemen, thank you for the opportunity to have this conversation. You're welcome. Absolutely. So thanks for being here, of course. And, you know, we're glad you're, you're joining us here. And so I, we got to, you know, obviously pick your brain a little bit on your thoughts around this event that I just described that I'm certain you've, you know, been made aware of as well. What, uh, what do you think happened there? Well, most certainly a tragedy in every sense of the word. And, you know, on the outside looking in, we look to see how we can make improvements to make these spaces that much tighter, that, that much more secure, in this case, obviously, for families. So, you know, obviously, the, the shooter in this incident, you know, had a plan in place, his own plan, uh, to kind of breach that space. And, and as you mentioned, um, you know, during your introductory comments, the ability of families, uh, individual safety, you know, having that pre-planned awareness, that situational awareness mindset, on knowing what to do when confronted with these types of challenges. Certainly disheartening news. You know, I'm sure the officials, you know, out in that area will look to see where things went right, where things went wrong, obviously. But it's going to take a, an effort, uh, not only from, you know, first responders and law enforcement um, security as well, but also the public to, again, you know, um, kind of get to a situation in their minds that they're not fearful, but they're empowered on knowing what to do when faced with true emergency situations. And we're seeing certainly, you know, around the country that active assailant, active shooter situations are becoming more volatile. Uh, they're becoming more frequent. So the ability for individuals and families to kind of get out in front of these challenges, again, tactically places them in a very good position to best survive unthinkable situations. Yeah, it's uh, really sad because, you know, we see these things happen way too often, way too frequently. And, you know, as I was saying, I mean, they had apparently pretty good security there, but you know, if you got somebody with a bolt cutter and a will, he's going to cut through any sort of fencing and be able to get in and, and, you know, do that. I mean, the good news is that they were able to stop it almost immediately. Uh, you know, unfortunately three people, people did lose their lives. Uh, but I think the quick reaction for the, from the security staff there really prevented a, a much, much greater tragedy. And although, you know, one life lost is too many, uh, it's just too, you know, it's just too sad when we see this sort of thing. And, you know, the book that you wrote this, uh, what's your plan? The whole point of that is, you know, basically to provide education and awareness for both individuals and families. I was, I was looking at it a little bit so that they have that sort of proactive mindset, that situational awareness, that what I call the warrior mindset, uh, which is what you need to survive an unthinkable situation, Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I was going to say that, again, as I mentioned earlier, these, these situations are getting more intense, more volatile. When we look at, you know, workplace uh, violence scenarios uh, in 2018, we're looking at 60% of corporate environments for having, having active shooter, active assailant situations. When I go back to my book and I look at 2017 stats, we're looking at those cru crucial first 10 to 15 minutes. Bad stuff is over before the good guys get there. We look at the pulse situation. Unfortunately, those people met their demise because they went in the bathroom, uh, you know, kind of sheltering in place, thinking, you know, the good guys would get down there and save them. A lot has changed, obviously, in a short amount of time. So the, the, the premise of the book is really based on something that my son, uh, who's 15 at the time, was 13, said to me 
when the lights went out in a mall in Durham, North Carolina. Now, we're in the Raleigh area, but this happened a few years ago when we relocated uh, to North Carolina. Lights go out. We're up on the second floor, and, of course, everybody just looks down at their smartphones, completely desensitized to the world around them. We talk about this incident that, that happened, you know, yesterday in California. The initial thought, again, was fireworks. You know, right. which is similar to, you know, what we're seeing in Europe where, you know, fireworks are a cause of celebration for sporting events. So I think people, uh, you know, have to get past that. Is that fireworks? Or is that really, you know, gunshots? And it's a change in mindset, uh, you know, again, to not only see something, say something, but also have that awareness. So, again, I wrote this book based on something my son said to me. The little hairs on the back of my neck stood up. I've been doing this, as you mentioned, nearly 30 years. You know, I worked the aftermath of 9-11. Tropical storm, I mean, the blackout. But when it comes from your own family member, you know, lights go out, people are desensitized to what's going on around them. So many potential, you know, uh, tragic situations can happen uh, within a short amount of time. So I felt compelled two years ago to write this book, and we've been blessed to become a bestseller. Um, but it's not without all the hard work, without these kinds of conversations. And I always talk about you know, leading from the front and leading without fear. And, and my book is based on an empowerment model. And gentlemen, I think we'd all agree that, unfortunately, there tends to be a lot of right. fear in our society today. And ultimately, you know, the smartest people I know, they're on TV every five minutes talking about motive, which, again, we want to understand why, you know, bad actors do the terrible things that they do. However, when we talk about motive, we're talking about a reactionary response to something that's tragic that's already happened. Uh, the smartest people around could not figure out the motive, the black swan event of the Vegas shooting. Right. You know, and here we are looking at the after action report, looking at the work, you know, that the Secret Service is putting out in terms of, uh, you know, uh, pre-indicators to violence. We need to be cognizant and aware. And, you know, law enforcement, you know, as you mentioned, I spent 21 years in law enforcement. They have a very difficult job these days. Uh, thankfully, uh, in yesterday's case, they were there on site and they engaged the target within you know, 60 seconds and eliminated that threat. Um, what happens if they weren't there or they had a, a much, you know, longer response time, if you will, if they were on the other side of the park? Oh, yeah, it, could have been, it could have been much, much worse. Exactly. Now, so exactly. in a situation where you're so secure, you're not always safe. If the active shooter has in mind, it doesn't matter what the environment's like. So we always have to be aware of those things, right? We do, and we also have to be mindful. There's a couple of things that immediately go into my mind as you bring that question to my attention, but reconnaissance. Just as we're studying every day, security leaders having these podcasts, trying to educate people, we're doing our due diligence. The bad actors are doing their due diligence, and they're studying, they're doing reconnaissance, and they're testing and probing to see. You know, this individual cut a hole in the fence. He knew this was the last night of the festival. He knew exactly what he was doing when he preached that space. And it's really... you know, apparently he made, yes, go ahead. No, finish your thought. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, you know, apparently, you know, there was a, a band up on stage. And it reminded me of, you know, what Jason Aldean was doing, you know, during the Vegas shooter, a shooting, excuse me, where, you know, members of, they initially thought it was something with the speaker system and his band instructed him to get off the stage. They sheltered underneath the stage. Well, in yesterday's case, the band sheltered underneath the stage and they heard something to the, to the effect the shooter was saying he was angry about something. So we've got to look at individuals that are disenfranchised. We have to look at their social media imprint. Um, you know, some people don't like to go on social media and tell the world how disenfranchised they are. 
which is even, you know, even more troubling. So I think information, you know, sharing is very, very important. I think something else too, that is, that is really sort of not really talked about too much. And I, this was brought up in in another recent interview that I did with someone who mentioned the fact that any more people such as yourself that are police officers and first responders are really second responders. Because the first responders are the people that are there next to the people that are getting shot or stabbed or killed or what have you. And so I think, you know, we don't want to have to think about like, you know, having everybody be trained, but everybody needs to be literally trained in some respect, in some way that lets them sort of be able to not freeze to be able to make some decisions because they've thought about some things ahead of time so that they're able to react in a much faster way. Because if they formulated the answers to the questions that are basically, you know, unthinkable, well, at least they have the answer to that when something happens. So it's like, you know, if I'm at a concert and gunshots go off, what am I going to do? And it should be, you know, to find a car, find on the stage, you know, hit the ground, you know, immediately seek shelter, you know, cover if you've got people around you. So it's like, you know, you almost need like a checklist of, you know, here are the things that you should do if you're in this situation, if you're in this situation, if you're in this situation. And it almost needs to be something that is, needs to be educated to the public at large in some way. You know, I mean, one show like this isn't going to do it. It has to be spread out, I think, through a much greater uh, with something with a much greater media reach that says, look, here's what we're doing. This situation occurs. We need to understand that help may not be 60 seconds away. It might be three, four, five, six, ten 10 minutes away. And in that situation, what are you going to do? And it's got to go beyond the old, you know, the run, hide, fight, which is, you know, great, but it has to, I think, go beyond that. Because if something is happening and help, you know, the the traditional, you know, quote, first responders haven't arrived yet, what are those people there going to do? And that, I think, is, is a conversation that really needs to, to happen. You know, I agree with you. And again, you know, that's basically what my book is about. It's 82 pages long. It's broken into eight chapters. You know, again, chapter one is sports and entertainment venues. You know, so to your point, when you go through chapter one, you know, I have a checklist at the end of each chapter, and I suggest that families pass the book around when they're sitting down at the table, just as I formulated the idea for this book after the lights went out in the mall in Durham, we drove home. We sat down at our table, and we it was fresh in our minds, you know, what we would do. So I was always talk about having, you know, a predetermined meeting place, a special code word for your family. Mm-hmm. Everybody has fully charged cell phones. You know, always follow law enforcement's direction and guidance, but to your point, what are you going to do to survive before the good guys get on scene? Exactly. And that's a change in mindset, one that, that's been reactionary. And again, when the fear factor rears its ugly head, it's that mob mentality. I'm just going to follow everybody else. Well, how do you know that person knows exactly what to do? Most you know, people so when you, exactly, yeah, it's most people such don't. a preparation process for everyone involved to prepare themselves for something like what happened in California or it's happened in certain other places. So we have to prepare like we were prepared for a possible airplane crash, which I mentioned last uh, episode, that we know that there are not gonna be that many airplane crashes, but we never know when we're gonna be part of a active shooter situation. 
Yeah. And heck, even if a plane does crash, you may not be in the plane. You might be on the ground. <laughs> the plane might be coming into your house, you know, or you may be seeing it come at you. Now what do you do? You know what I mean? It's not what you can do. So yeah. And you know, one of the things, James, you, you, you had said is, you know, professionals know that we've got to get out in front of these things. Um, and, and empower ourselves with the education, with the skill sets, et cetera, et cetera, and the training. Uh, and we can sort of get beyond that fear because of the training. And so when somebody's faced with that real emergency, when they have that fear, you know, kick in and, you know, what you need to do, as you put it, uh, is to, quote, tactically place you and your family in a position of strength, not weakness, because fear is not an option, is not part of the equation. I, and I'm quoting from you. And what I would say to that is that fear is absolutely a major issue because it compromises one's ability to act or react because they become frozen with fear. And the fear of loss that's associated with that is something that I write about and I speak about because when we are, have a, a, a loss of a fear of loss, whether it's losing our health or our lives or our possessions, it's our wallet, it's our jewelry, it's whatever, and a robbery, um, that fear of losing something, uh, in some cases it can be a healthy thing, but in other cases it's not a healthy thing. And I think that if the time comes, we've got to act in spite of fear. And I think that if we use the fear and we can harness it and say, you know what? Yes, this is something that is terrifying, but I've got to push through that. I've got to find the courage to do it. I've got to act in spite of that fear and not allow us to, to be paralyzed by it and realize that, look, you know what? I'm not going to just sit here. I'm going to actually do something about it. And if I'm hurt or killed in the process, at least I'm doing as much as I possibly can to save myself, to save my family, my children, et cetera. And it's a tough switch in that mindset. And I call it the warrior mindset because it's the same mindset that the warriors of ancient Japan had, right? The samurai, they were given a job to do and they did the job. If they thought they might get hurt or killed, oh, well, I'll go do the job. If I get hurt or killed, that's my job. Now, we don't need to have that exact same mentality, but I think we need to harness portions of it in certain situations, because I think that would allow people to sort of, you know, flip that switch that allows them to act when everything is screaming, you know, you know, no, or, you know, that I, or stop, or I can't, or I'm afraid. I totally agree. And I, and I think that's where we are. We're at a crossroads, pivotal crossroads in our country. And I, Never try to get political when I have these types of conversations. But the reality of the situation is 2020 is right around the corner. We have a lot of political instability in this country. Uh, fear, as you mentioned, is debilitating for a lot of people. On a personal note, uh, my wife's girlfriend, they grew up together in Southern California. Uh, she was in the Vegas shooting. She was nearly killed. Um, the grace of God, a good Samaritan said to her, get in the back of my pickup truck, got her out of there. Um, she has PTSD, has my book, and cannot get past chapter one, which ironically enough is sports and entertainment venues. So, you know, when we talk about these mass casualty incidents, we look at the after action report from Vegas, over 600 radio transmissions, people running across, uh, you know, the airport landing strip. Uh, you know, obviously a tactical, you know, shooter that did reconnaissance that had full access, you know, to that space. When you look at aerial assaults, you know, concerts, black swan events, as I mentioned, 32 floors up, shooting down into a confined space. The fear factor rears its ugly head. People have no idea what to do, where to go, or how to react. Why don't we change the mindset, gentlemen? Why don't we educate the American public? People talk about, 
you know, the challenges in law enforcement. We could have the, the largest law enforcement military, you know, in the world with our American public getting on board, becoming educated, not being fearful, knowing exactly what to do, creating a pre-planned response for their family. Again, what I do for my family, gentlemen, my plan may be different than yours, but you've already had that conversation. And what's troubling to me as not only a father, but as a security leader, is when people tell me, James, I really don't want to go to concerts anymore. James, I really don't want to go out to public places. And as we all know, that is the true goal of any anarchist or Antifa or any type of... Any terrorist. You know, uh, any terrorist organization is to instill fear, to change our daily lives, to get us to not do the things that we've grown so accustomed to doing. And to me, that is very, very troubling. And as you said at the onset, if we could sit here and say that a lot of good things are happening, unfortunately, they're not. Um, just last night, I was getting text messages, emails, people contacting me on the West Coast. James, do you know what's going on? And I'm following it just like you gentlemen, just like the rest of the country and the rest of the world and the rest of the bad actors. And I didn't even get into this earlier, but this whole contagion effect where, you know, the media goes out to push out that information. Now it becomes information overload for the American public. And now there's somebody looking at what happened last night and today that's saying, hmm, so-and-so is getting all this attention. Well, let's look at the next 13 successive days with the media's overexposure, the contagion effect, and seeing whether or not there's another disenfranchised individual out there who's going to perform a copycat scenario, if you will. Very, very concerning. So, you know, again, our work continues on a daily basis. To have these conversations is very, very important. You know, I've been on, you know, I've spoken to Las Vegas and Charlotte and New York City. I've reached out to the national media, and I know that, you know, I certainly need to be allies with them, but they're ignoring me, gentlemen. They're ignoring this type of a conversation. Um, and as we know, the experts get on there, and they're constantly talking about motive, and motive is not solving the problem. People say to me, James, it's gun control, it's mental health. You know, it's all these variables, and they're all contentious, important individuals to those specific people. But at the end of the day, if we continue to point fingers at one another and want to be right for all of our individual reasons, nothing is going to change. Nothing tangible, uh, especially if it becomes politicized, no, no effective changes will take place. And these incidents will continue on and on and on. Uh, you mentioned you know, the media. The you mentioned the media. Would you say that the national media is selling fear? Because I would say that's how they sell the news, right? I mean, how important is that? Yeah, you know, and I do, I do feel that. I honestly do. Um, you know, I've reached out to them. They know exactly what I'm trying to do. And, and you gentlemen are trying to do the same thing. There's many of us. This message is bigger than James A. DeMeo. I understand that I can't do this myself, that I have right. to, you know, create bridges and, and extend olive branches and, and have effective collaborations. But this has to be a force multiplier effect. This is bigger than me. People say to me, James, your book is ever so timely. In my mind, it was timely two years ago when I wrote it. And there's enough material, unfortunately, for me to start another book. And people have asked me, you know, whether or not I'm interested in starting another book. And the reality is, you're right. It becomes a fear-based, you know, uh, just information overload. And people just turn it off. If you're in Raleigh, you know, Forbes magazine ranked this as, as one of the best places to raise a family, but I educate people, don't let your guard down because now we're even more of a target because we're doing so well as an example. So we need to be mindful, you know, and we need to share information. And when we have these conversations, you know, the first thing that I say is, you know, I'm here to empower and not to scare anyone. 
And when I'm done with my training presentations, people say to me, you know what, James, I was thinking about your book and what you told me last Friday as an example. And now I went to, you know, this Durham Bulls baseball game and everything that you told me. Well, I'm starting to think about things I never thought about before. And as we know, gentlemen, when we can get that message across, then we're doing what we need to do to be security leaders. You know, it's, and that's the thing. We have to bring up these things, but the media probably doesn't want you on because it's not an exciting topic. Oh, it's mental health. Oh, we're over sensationalizing things. Well, these media outlets, James, are losing their steam. People aren't watching enough. So you have to sensationalize it even more. So it's not really a great topic to say, we can fix everything by really improving our mental health in this country. We really could fix things by not promoting whoever was the last big shooter and researching and showing a story because that's all they have is a story, James. And if you get rid of that story, they have no ratings. I think they're all pieces of the puzzle. You know, like we have to do all of the above sort of thing. You know what I mean? There's not one thing but if that you, is going to help. If you continue to promote that person as James was talking about, you're guaranteed to have another copycat. In two oh years. yeah, you can't do that. But they're doing it. And they're doing it because they cannot compete with the online 24-7 news now. They are television networks need to bring out the worst effects to get people's fear so they keep watching. And they go against, they go for the least common denominator people to watch so they're in fear, so they'll keep their televisions on, which means ratings. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with anything you're saying. And, and again, you know, what I'm proposing is the education model. You know, I'm, I'm extremely passionate about teaching and educating, as I, as I know both you gentlemen are. But, you know, our work continues. But unfortunately, you know, these types of situations are not going away anytime soon. And when I tell, tell people that with a straight face, they look at me like, really? And I'm like, yes. You know, you yeah, have to look they? at what's happening. Yeah, why would right, they go exactly. away? Nothing's being done exactly. to stop it on a big enough scale. Because one, like I said, one thing isn't going to do it. Gun control is not going right. to fix it. Okay, great. You take away the guns. What are people going to do? They're going to go to knives. They're going to go to bats. They're going to go to whatever. Vehicles. You sure. kill somebody with a pencil for crying out loud. I mean, it doesn't matter. You're going to find something to carry out whatever it is that's going on in your mind. So. And then, of course, then that takes us, leads us right into, you know, the mental health side of it. You know, you've got people that need assistance because they have troubled, you know, minds and they need the proper care, which costs money. Well, guess what? They don't want to spend enough money to give people the amount of care they need or they want to give them some pills and say, this is going to fix you. Uh, and it gets them out of the office. And, you know, all of these different pieces, you know, whether it's, we could even go down the road of the violence in video games and in the movies and in television as another aspect of it. We could go down the road of the breakdown in the family system and that whole model and the broken homes. I mean, there, that's what I mean. Like there are so many pieces to it and we have to make people aware that, look, you know, you need to do this, but you also need to do that. And you also have to be cognizant of this. And you know what I mean? Like it's, it's such a, a holistic approach that requires a tremendous amount of education and people don't necessarily want it because they are too caught up in their own lives and trying to worry about the things that they have to do, whether it's their job or their lives or their home or their kids or their careers or going on vacation, <laughs> right? I mean, there's a million things that, that take our attention away. Uh, absolutely. And I just recently did a 
a few a few uh, training seminars here in the Raleigh area for some corporate settings, and I told the folks, you know, about um, team leaders and stakeholders and open door policies and looking around, you know, and seeing if some of your coworkers are having a bad day, you know, as an example. But that's their workplace, and mm-hmm. to come forward and share that information because we've seen time and time again when people don't come forward and share that information in a timely manner, unfortunately, bad things happen. And again, that's a reactive approach. So whether it's a corporate setting, you know, obviously in this case yesterday, you know, they had as much as they thought they needed in place in terms of, you know, effective screening measures and law enforcement on site. Uh, But when you have these larger events and these open spaces, uh, you know, again, we have to be cognizant of all the challenges that we're seeing, you know, uh, obviously the threat of terrorism, errant drones, you know, as we know, there could potentially disperse, um, you know, chemical agents, as an example, in clement severe weather conditions, again, which could create, you know, panic and fear, as an example. The list goes on and on and on. So we we go out, we share information, we try to educate. But I, I as I'm sure both you gentlemen on, I'm extremely logical. And when you hit people with facts, the facts don't lie. And the facts are telling us time and time again that, you know, obviously, they're becoming more intense, more volatile, more frequent. You know, again, 60% corporate environments in 2018, 10 to 15 minute window in 2017 when I wrote this book. Now it's more like five to seven, five to seven, five to nine minute window. Bad stuff is over before good guys get on scene. What are we going to do? What are we going to do with our families and these spaces to best survive these types of situations before the good guys get there? So again, you know, it's it's education. You know, I'm just looking at the, the table of contents for my book, but I, I cover it A through Z. But again, we look at, as you mentioned earlier, security from a holistic standpoint. It has to be a wide angle lens of sharing information, intelligence, intelligence gathering and analysis. You know, when you look at mega events, you're talking about utilizing, you know, governmental resources. But what about the mid-sized venues and the softer targets or, or the festivals and carnivals as we're seeing where again, they're more prone to these types of security challenges. What kind of resources do these folks have to keep people safe within these spaces? Yeah, local, a local carnival, for example, you know, or some sort of festival. There is no way going to be security that's going to be able to handle or even attempt to thwart some sort of threat like that because it is such a an easy open target and it's an easy open space so with that in mind how concerned are you about the threat of terrorism here in the united states both as it stands as well as where you see it getting worse it sounds like to me i'm very concerned about it and uh, i do see it getting worse on many levels and again we're talking about you know domestic international um, you know, political divisiveness, uh, the lone wolf, again, that's the insider threat. Uh, we haven't even talked about the cyber side of it, but again, they're intertwined between cyber and physical security. Um, we utilize the resources to the best of our ability. You know, again, I mean, looking at stadiums as an example, they utilize, you know, responsible social media monitoring, biometrics, fast pass lanes, which are great for ingressing or getting folks through screening, uh, quickly and expeditiously without, you know, obviously preventing choke points and bottlenecks, which are prime targets for terrorist activities. So we want to be cognizant of getting people into a space safely and securely. We want to get them uh, obviously out of those spaces. Uh, I opened the Barclays Center in 2012 at AEG, so you can imagine 18,000 Brooklyn Nets fans coming out, 
of a NBA basketball game, and many of which may have had a little alcohol, and now there's an active shooter situation. You know, it's challenging enough to deal with intoxicated fans. Can you imagine trying to lead them to say they've been drinking alcohol for two or three hours? So we have to look at alcohol beverage control programs. We have to look at how we egress these folks into mass transportation ops, which again are potential terrorist targets. And again, they're on the exterior perimeters just outside of these stadiums, venues, and arenas, which again, I've been operating in that space as well as family and safety and preparedness, but we're seeing there's a lot of overlap, right? Between the technologies that are used and obviously the challenges that we're seeing uh, within all these types of verticals. I, that's why I talk about that all the time because my experience and expertise is in the IT side of it as well as the physical side of it. So I'm familiar with the, the cyber attacks and cybersecurity and all of the, that whole side of it, which is a whole nother world that, you know, we could talk for another hour about. Uh, but it's, you know, like you said, they're becoming more and more intertwined. Now, something else that you mentioned, which I also am concerned with is the inability of people who are normally easy to get along with, sociable, et cetera, get extremely passionate to the point of being a little nuts when you start talking politics. And, you know, it's a very, very bad situation right now. We've got, as you mentioned, you know, the 2020 elections around the corner. They're coming up fast and furious. We see the field on the one side being so, you know, large and sort of, um, you know, it's just, there's no cohesiveness there. You know, there's people all over the place. It's very diluted, uh, is the word I'm looking for, with so many people. And then you have, you know, the incumbent, which is, you know, a lot of people aren't happy with and a lot, you know, some people are. And so with that around the corner, obviously there is the potential for not just protests, but, you know, protests turning violent, you know, into riots and other sorts of civil unrest. So how concerned are you given the state of the political theater today and then knowing what's going to be happening in the next year that's obviously going to probably make it that much worse. I'm very concerned. Again, I'm not a fear monger. I'm somebody who's trying to be out front. But certainly, you know, we have to do our due diligence, obviously, right. between now and, and election time. And that is going to take a major, Agreed. major effort in terms of, you know, public-private partnerships. You know, and that, again, is utilizing governmental resources from the top down, bottom up, but getting, you know, contract security, you know, to be involved with having those conversations, you know, with uh, Secret Service and, you know, again, those governmental stakeholders, you know, that'll be safeguarding, you know, these different venues hosting these political rallies and things like that. So we have to be cognizant of what's being posted online. We have to be doing our due diligence. We have to be sharing information again, be, between our public and private partnerships. But we have, we clearly have our work ahead of us. And unfortunately, there seems to be, you know, just a great amount of um, friction and animosity right now in our society. And, you know, for the foreseeable future, unfortunately, you know, um, I'm going to say that it's going to continue to happen. And it's not based on fear. It's based on what's been happening, the political climate. You know, certainly you look at the unemployment rate, you know, you have, you know, you look at arguably 4%, 8%, whatever you think that number is, we also have to factor in those folks, you know, that have dropped out looking for working, as an example. And get back to the mental health side or folks that think that, you know, maybe they're not thriving in this economy. 
uh, as they may have thrived in, in previous economies, as an example. Those potentially could be, you know, disenfranchised individuals lashing out for their own reasons. So we have these groups, Antifa, and we have, you know, down here in North Carolina, we had the whole Silent Sam situation. Uh, you know, these problems are not going away, whether it's political rallies, they're not going away on college campuses, they're not going away uh, in churches and places of worship, they're not going away in festivals, they're not going away, you know, obviously in corporate environments, they're certainly not going away in sports and entertainment venues, because again, uh, if you're looking at these mega events, you can reach millions and millions of people. We have the Olympics coming up, not too far from now, so we have these mega events, we have large groups of people in densely populated areas, and we get the media covering these events, what better opportunity than a bad actor to strike out right. and get that notoriety and recognition if, you know, on television. So how are we going to stop that if we're not doing the measures of the recommendations you've given us tonight? It's just going to happen, or what does our, the security team in these big events need to do better so that this doesn't happen at these events you're talking about? Well, nobody bats a thousand in the security industry. And I, and I tell the story all the time. If you, you're with the LA Dodgers and you get up 10 times and you get three hits, you're a 300, 300 hitter and you're making $7 million a year, as an example. The reality is nobody bats a thousand in the security industry. So we do the best we can in terms of, you know, uh, sharing, uh, you know, best practices, lessons learned, after action reports, computer simulations, tabletop exercises, uh, virtual reality training. You know, obviously utilizing drones, obviously for good reasons in terms of uh, reconnaissance. We need to proactively uh, train event staff, as an example, uh, in terms of situational awareness and threat and behavioral analysis, verbal de-escalation. So regardless of the vertical that you're entrusted to protect, the training aspect is very, very important. Uh, we have to look at duty care with the corporate environments. Obviously, we look at OSHA and, and the responsibilities, the, the legal responsibilities that corporations have to keep workers safe within those spaces. Our work continues on a daily basis. Uh, training and education are a big component. But one thing I learned in law enforcement in 20 years, a couple things, obviously, but what you did downrange is what you're going to do in a real-life gun battle. And, you know, obviously, you know, your, your actions have to be reasonable and, and necessary. You have to be able to articulate everything you're doing. So we do the best we can. We get out front. We utilize technology, um, you know, to safeguard these spaces. Uh, we educate staff, we educate the public in, in sports and entertainment. We utilize, uh, you know, obviously the, the uh, websites to educate the fans on what the accepted tolerated behaviors are before they come out to the venue. But I always say an educated fan is a safe fan. So if you're knowing exactly how you got into the venue, how you're going to get out, where your car is parked, fully charged cell phones, you've had that, you know, um, predetermined meeting place with your family in the event you get uh, separated, you're utilizing technology on your iPhones inside those spaces, sending an anonymous text, obviously, to the command center if you see something that looks out of the ordinary. So it's that constant ebb and flow, sharing information, utilization of, obviously, technology and physical security within these confined spaces. Our work continues. Education is a big part of what we need to do, but certainly we need to get the American public more in tune of having their own situational awareness knowing how to get out in front of the challenges, again, being empowered and not fearful during times of crisis. So many people are desensitized because of technology, and that's probably the biggest problem that I see being a tech person and a safety guy is that people are 
so reliant upon and consumed by the technology at their fingertips that it desensitizes them. It, it compromises them because, you know, it can compromise your senses. You know, your vision can be compromised with a bright screen. Your night vision can be compromised at night. You know, you've got your headphones in, the music's too loud, whatever you listen to is too loud. Your hearing is compromised. So you actually are making yourself less safe in many regards using technology on the one hand, right? And then on the other side, you can also then, but also you can also use that technology to help keep you more safe by, for example, downloading some sort of safety app that's going to give you information or is going to allow you to, you know, contact people at the pressure of a button, you know, in the event of, of an emergency, right? So we have this sort yeah. of love-hate, <laughs> you know, relationship with technology, I think, where on the one hand, it can help us, and on the other hand, it can hurt us, and we have to make sure that we can sort of walk that tightrope and take the best that it has to offer and utilize it, and then the things that are compromising our safety and security, we have to be aware of so that we maybe not eliminate it, but at least we limit it or we don't do certain things in certain situations to allow us to be as safe as possible. Yeah, it's definitely finding a balance between the two. And, you know, studies show now, especially with the younger people, they're spending an inordinate amount of time on their phones. So again, they're more socially detached and more depressed and more anxious. And, you know, ultimately they're not connecting you know, obviously with their fellow students. So it's finding that balance. It's having, you know, those mental health counselors, you know, inside, you know, K through 12 and universities, these threat assessment teams, you know, the key stakeholders, you know, sharing information, you know, uh, it, it's certainly uh, a challenge on a daily basis, but we do the best we can, as I've mentioned, you know, and again, my, my book as an example is just, it doesn't, it's not the end all be all. I'm smart enough to realize that, but it helps, you know, with, part of the threat continuum. It's all these different variables that we've been talking about for, you know, last 30 or so minutes, you know, about education and technology and, and awareness and, and getting out in front. But, you know, again, you know, fear is unfortunately something that's, that's prevalent in our society and we have to get past that. We have to be, you know, emboldened and empowered to know that we're, you know, we're going to live. You know, people say to me, James, you know, run, hide, fight. Well, you don't have to do it in that exact order, right, gentlemen? We open up right. the classroom door and, and exactly. there's the shooter. Well, you know what? If you're not fighting for your life, who's going to fight for your life? You know, exactly. you have to, you know, if there's four or five of you there, you know what? I'm not dying today. That's, I'm going home to my wife and kids. And that's exactly. the mindset that we have to have. And if we have anything short of that, you're not going to survive. And when I talk to people that way, it's to get them to, to raise their sense of awareness, not to scare them, but to say, hey, listen, maybe he's onto something. And these kinds of conversations, your audience listening to this, when they go out to a sporting venue, when they go to a festival, when their kids are going to college, they're having these conversations, you know, before the, the child gets on the college campus to, again, share information, you know, work with public safety, talk to the threat assessment teams, you know, in the, obviously, the university environment, uh, movie theaters, again, you know, someone pulling the fire alarm and having a, a series of events, right? Fire alarm, the lights go out. Now you, you could literally run right into an active shooter situation. So it could be a series of, you know, convoluted events uh, by more than one bad, bad actor within confined spaces. So one of the oh, things wow. that you... you I mean, Pete, yeah, I was going to say one more thing before yeah. uh, your question, Pete. I mean, all these things are dim, I guess the good news is there are people like you, James and, and Pete, that are here to 
protect us because without security, uh, the things will be a lot worse, right? So even though we're telling people we can become better at this and, and the public needs to become more situa- have more situational awareness, still, we are lucky to have people like you two, right? Well, you know, and I think everybody in the safety and security space, we all have the same mission, right? It's to do what we can to keep people safe, no matter what that means. And the way you do that, first and foremost, is through education and then, of course, training and practice, right? I mean, it's like any any skill. The problem is, I think, that you know, so many people are so caught up in their lives that when you talk to them about, for example, having a pre-planned response to an event, like what would happen if somebody broke into your house? What would happen if there was a fire in your house? I mean, what's the difference, right? You talk about if there's a fire, where are you going to go? Everybody's going to go out whatever door they can. Hopefully you're on the second floor. If you got one of those safety ladders, you get out of the house, everybody meets under the big tree in the corner of the yard, whatever. You have a, a plan, right? You have to look at all these other situations the same way. You're going to a concert with your family, take five minutes in the car and say, okay, look, we're probably going to be okay. It's probably going to be a great time. We're going to enjoy this event. But if there is a problem, whether it's a fire or a flood or an earthquake or a tornado or an active shooter or whatever it happens to be, and we get separated, this is where we're going to meet. Where we're going to meet. And if something happens, you know, everybody's make sure, like you said, James, make sure your cell phone's fully charged. So if we need to get a hold of each other, you know, we'll know what, what's, what to do. And at least you have some sort of plan because the vast majority of people don't. And so just having a simple plan because you've thought about something for a few minutes beforehand can really change and, you know, make things a lot different in terms of the outcome potentially than if you never even thought about it. Because if you don't think about it and it happens, it's like, what do I do? Because you didn't think about it, right? Exactly. Yep. Absolutely. So, I mean, ultimately that's the most important thing I would say. So, uh, do you, uh, the book, uh, is um, what's your plan? Uh, a step-by-step guide to keep your family safe during emergency situations. As you said, it's a it's a quick read. It has a lot of great information. A lot of different uh, situations that uh, people are going to be able to learn something from. Do you have any last thoughts uh, for our audience, James? Before we let you go. Well, again, gentlemen, thanks for the opportunity. You know, I wrote this book based on something you know that my son said to me. It is not your typical security practitioner's guide. It is written for families. It is tangible. It's user-friendly. It's something, again, you can use time and time again. And, you know, again, thank you for the opportunity to share this information. It's a timely discussion. Certainly a tragedy coming, you know, out of the San Jose area. But, you know, I'm sure the officials there will do what they can. We want to gain a better understanding as to what happened, why it happened, and how we can prevent, you know, future occurrences. But collectively, uh, we need to come together during times of crisis. Again, I work the aftermath of 9-11. It seems like when we have tragedies, the American public does, in fact, come together. And I'd like to be you know, hopeful about you know, us coming together you know, uh, during hurricanes and tornadoes and earthquakes because at the end of the day, if we're not supporting our first responders, it's over, ladies and gentlemen. Right. They need our help. They're a very difficult job. Uh, you know, they're under a tremendous amount of stress. But we have to be there for them, support them. You know, you're seeing the challenges with the NYPD and how it's become politicized, you know, with the water buckets and things like that. If we start to lose, yeah, it's crazy. If we start to lose, you know, that 
connectivity with the community, um, we will have complete lawlessness. And that's the last thing we need, you know, in this country right now. So again, um, it's what's your plan. It's on jamesadameo.com. We're on Amazon. Uh, we're down here in Raleigh. We're on consignment, you know, at Quail Ridge. We're on Goodreads. This is a conversation that I'm honored to have. This is a conversation that's important. This is a conversation where I'm hoping your, your audience has learned, if they learned two or three things that they didn't know uh, before they tuned in, then we all collectively did our jobs, you know, to heighten their awareness without instilling fear. So again, I want to thank you gentlemen for this opportunity. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being on, James. And uh, of course, thanks to our listeners for tuning into Safety Talk. Uh, you can always get more information as well as past episodes at safetytalkpodcast.com. So take a look there and be sure to subscribe to us on any of your favorite podcast networks. And until next time, stay safe. Thanks for tuning into Safety Talk. You can listen to past episodes and get the latest safety news at our website, safetytalkpodcast.com. Be sure to visit our other websites for free safety checklists and infographics. You can also sign up for free online self-defense training, learn about college campus safety, and find out more about Pete and how he can help educate your school or business through his speaking, workshops, seminars, and consulting. Subscribe to the Safety Talk podcast and never miss out on any new safety information. Until next time, stay safe.